you walked among us. Jesus, we look at your words. I always do the things that please the Father, and we realize that we fall so short of that. God, we, we so many times don't even think about pleasing you in, in the daily things that we do. I pray that we would sense the urgency of, of your message and would be always ready to share you with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. What do you guys think of when you uh, you think of the story of Noah's Ark? What comes through your mind? Do you think of uh, you think of the boat and the animals and Noah and and uh, my, my my daughter's got a couple of Noah's Ark videos of the cartoons, little giraffes peeking their head out the window. It's so cute. You know all that all that you know little monkeys and stuff like that. And you think man, that's such a cute little story, such a cool little story. But do you guys realize that there are other people in that story? you realize that the story of Noah's Ark is about God's judgment on the earth and how he flooded the whole earth and wiped out everyone who lived on it. Do you realize the story of Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6 when God says that he was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. He looked at a world that totally rejected him and it was talking about his pain and his grief over why did I make them anyways and he destroys the whole world. And yet when we think of Noah's Ark, all we can think about is that boat and about how he saved Noah and his family and these animals. And and why is that? Well, we, we look at that side of it because it's so beautiful. I mean, Noah's Ark, there's no doubt about it. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's protection. I just want you to understand that that's not all it's about. But what happens is God's provision for Noah is so beautiful, so incredible, so lovely, that uh, it it even overshadows his wrath, doesn't it? In some ways, it tends to be what we focus on. And uh, i got to tell you, we've been studying the book of Revelation, which has all been about God's wrath, right? But then we get to chapter 7. And i got to tell you, Chapter 7 is so beautiful. Chapter 7 is like the Noah's Ark of Revelation, where it talks about God's protection of his people. And, and that's, a, that's the thing about the book of Revelation is, is chapter 6. We're studying, remember last week, we're talking about chapter 6, and we're talking about the horrors of God's wrath, you know, and, and, and the meteors, you know, the asteroids are coming down the earth, and these people are screaming, hide us from the wrath of God, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Who can stand? Well, then chapter 7 answers that question. In chapter 7, you see an incredible picture about how God protects his people. Because if we left at chapter 6, we would just say, man, this is a horrible story. This is miserable. I hate the way it ends. But chapter 7 says, no, 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 you don't understand. If you love God, there's an incredible protection for you. And I love this chapter because you read it and you just go, man, it is so good to be a child of God. It is so good to know that that God on the throne is going to protect me, is going to save me. You see, remember chapter 6? If you have your Bibles, you know, let's just read the last few verses of Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. Remember this? It says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called out to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? 
Remember that? All the most influential, powerful people along with the slaves are hiding and going, gosh, hide us from the wrath of God. No one's going to be able to stand this. We're all going to die. We're all going to be destroyed. Who can stand? And then chapter 7, verse 1, begins to answer that question. He says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Hey, let me explain what's going on here. Remember chapter 6, he's, you remember Jesus is, uh, is opening up the scroll and he's, he's pulling off those seven seals and he's just pulled off the sixth one. Before he pulls off the seventh one, before he breaks that seventh seal, you see this scene. And, and what it is, is it, it, it describes these four angels and it says the four corners of the earth. It doesn't mean they, they thought there were four corners on the earth. It just means the universality. These, these, uh, these angels kept the wrath of God from coming upon the earth. Okay, they were holding back. It says they're holding back these winds. These winds represent the destruction of God, the wrath of God upon the earth. And these angels are holding it back until something happens. This angel comes down. He says, hold on. Don't let the wrath of God come down just yet because first I've got to seal the servants of God. I've got to put a seal on their foreheads. Remember how I talked to you about the seals and what those were? It was, uh, you know, someone would have a ring and it would have his insignia on it. And if he put it in a piece of wax like they did on the scroll, you would see, okay, I can't open that, that, that scroll because it belongs to whoever has that ring or whoever has that little signet thing that fits in there. It's kind of like a signature. Kind of like, you know, you, you, you got to sign for that. Let me see if this matches your signature. Back then, they would have seals, which is probably better because it's much harder to counterfeit. Okay, so you had to have the right seal in order to, to get to something. It meant it belonged to you. Okay, now what this angel has, he says he has the seal of God. So what this angel's coming down to do, it's like he's going to stamp the seal of God on the foreheads, you know, which he could put a big one on mine. He got the foreheads of, of those who are servants of God. He would kind of seal them, and that would show that, look, that belongs to God. You can't touch it. It's kind of like when you see, like, like if you're sitting somewhere and you see a duffel bag, you know, or, or a suitcase or something, and there's a little tag on it. And let's say you see this briefcase and it has a, a tag that says, property of Mike Tyson. Would you just open up that briefcase and start thrashing it? No way, it belongs to Mike Tyson. He'll come, hey, that's my stuff. You know, you don't, <laughs> you're not going to touch it. You're not going to mess with his stuff. And in the same way, you guys, that's what we have a picture of here. It's like God sends an angel to kind of put a stamp or his seal upon those who are his on their foreheads, basically saying, look, that's property of God. No one would dare tamper it, tamper with it. So as, as these demonic forces are destroying the world and God allows it, they also know, wait, that person's been sealed by God. I can't touch him. That is property of God. I can't destroy him. Otherwise, God will destroy me. 
So it's an incredible picture here of God saying, look, there's going to be destruction on the earth, but first I'm going to put my seal on those who are mine, and they're going to be protected from the wrath. Now, now who, I mean, can you imagine what it would feel like if you were one of these people that was on the earth and you were sealed before the wrath of God? Can you imagine that feeling of just knowing I'm indestructible? You can't, you can't hurt me. I mean, what an incredible feeling that would be as you see all these things flying around and all this disaster to know God's like got me in his hands and he's protecting me. I can go anywhere. I can do anything and I'm protected by him. Now, who are these individuals then on the earth still that, that will be protected by God? He calls them servants of God. So we know that they're people who believe in Jesus Christ and serve him. But look at verse 4. It describes who these people are that are sealed. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Okay. Who are these people that get sealed? First, let me say this. Okay. I, I believe the rapture has already taken place at this point. That's my belief. You don't have to believe that. I'm just leaning more and more towards that the more I study. I believe that God has already taken the believers out of the earth. But during that beginning tribulation period, I believe that a lot of people come to believe in Jesus. I mean, can you imagine if you're seeing all this stuff going on, if you heard some faint message about revelation and the end of the world, you'd know, hey, this is it. I better really believe in Jesus. I believe there's all sorts of people who come to know Jesus during the beginning of the tribulation period. And I believe that these are some of them. These are some of the people who come to believe in God during the tribulation and before God seriously pours down some wrath, he wants to protect these people. But I also believe that these individuals, like it says, are literally literally 144,000. And I believe these people that he's talking about here are truly 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. These are Jewish believers. And uh, the reason why I believe this, I believe some people say, well, you know, 12,000, 144,000, it just sounds like the number of perfection, like a completeness, like just a, a, any random number. And, and it could be just tons of people. No, I don't believe that. Um, some people say, well, couldn't this just refer to all the believers? Do they have to be Jewish? I say, yeah, here I believe they do. Because remember what I said last week? Um, when we interpret Scripture, we have to say, if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. So if literally this could be true, we first have to go with that and say, well, could it be 144,000 Jewish people? I believe absolutely that is who they are. 144,000 Jewish people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. I believe they are the ones who are sealed here. And the reason is because they give them a, a direct number. Nowhere else in Scripture, whenever they use the term Israel, it always refers to the descendants of Jacob. It always refers to the people of Israel. And not only that, but he lists out all the tribes. He lists out, look, specifically, there's 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, 12,000 from that tribe. And not only that, but really it goes perfectly with the rest of Scripture. 
I mean, if you study the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, but if you study the whole Bible like we're supposed to, you will see that God has always had a special plan for the people of Israel. I mean, from the very start, God has said, you know what, I remember Genesis 12 when he first approaches Abraham in the very beginning. He's talking to Abraham and he says, you know what, through you, through your descendants will all the nations of the world be blessed. And you guys, when you study the Old Testament and you study just world history, you see that God has had a special protection on the land of Israel, on the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And when those people in the Old Testament, the Jewish people followed God, they were invincible. I mean, all the nations would bow down before them. You know, you remember Elijah on Mount Carmel, you know, when he was, he was battling all the other prophets of Baal? And, and when he showed that, you know what, the God of Israel is a true God, all the people began to say, the Lord, he's God. Lord of Israel, that's the real God. The Jewish people were meant to be a blessing to the whole world, so God always protected them. And there was a special covenant relationship with them. When there was rebellion, when the Jewish people rebelled against God, you know, then God would kind of lift his hand of blessing away from them and let them suffer, you know, the consequences of their sin. But even amidst that, there was always a special protection of them, even up to, to this day. And you guys, look at what has happened in the last century. Man, 1948, the Jewish Jews came back to Israel. They became a nation again. You guys, that should never have happened. Have you ever studied just the history of other people groups that have gone through far less persecution than the Jewish people have? Man, anyone who's gone through any other nation that has gone through the persecution that the Jews have have been wiped out. Why did the Jewish nation return? How could they be so powerful? What happened in 1967? You know, in the Six-Day War, when, when the Jews expanded their territory. Man, that was unreal. That was incredible. You guys, that was an act of God. Why? Because ever since that covenant with Abraham, he has promised this relationship with the Jewish people. It has been incredible. It's been beautiful. And here, what's amazing, here you have at the very end of time, you remember his promise to Abraham? He says, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Here you have the end of the world. And who does God choose to be a testimony, a light on the earth for the rest of the world? 144,000 Jews. 144,000 from the tribes of Israel who will be a blessing to the rest of the world, who will be a light and show people, look, this is where the truth is. Look how we've been sealed. Look how we've been protected. That's going to be a testimony to be a witness to the rest of the world and fulfilling his covenant to Abraham. And so I absolutely believe that this refers to 144,000 Jewish believers. I don't believe you can read the Bible um, without realizing that God has had a special relationship with Israel. Um, if there is one thing, I, I left the land of Israel, you know, a couple weeks ago. If there's one thing I got from that trip, I just kept thinking to myself, I wish I were Jewish. You know, honestly, I left there thinking, man, I wish that were my heritage. I'm not, by the way. But uh, (laughs) I left there just going, man, what an incredible relationship God has had with this people. Even in their rebellion, even when they turned against God so many times, you see God still reaching out and you see this love relationship that God has had with that nation. Even in their rebellion, he kept begging them to come back. Even when they rejected the Messiah, 
Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 23? You know, after, after the Jewish people, they're, they're screaming to crucify him now. They're wanting to destroy the one Son of God. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 23? Verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus looks at them and says, Jerusalem, man, I send you prophets and you kill them. He goes, man, how many times has God, have I tried to gather you under my wings? Like a hen gathering his chicks under him. I just love these people. I'm trying to gather them to me. He says, but you were not willing. You kept walking away from under my protection, under my wings. And you just see the heart of God breaking at their rebellion and the rejection of God and the rejection of their son, Jesus. But even amidst all that, God says there's still going to be a remnant. There's still going to be a remnant from that group that will believe in me and will follow me with all their hearts. And that's what we see here. That's the 144,000 where God says, look, here's my people. Here's 144,000, and they are servants of God, he calls them. These people were still pursuing God. They still love God, and therefore God seals them and protects them during the wrath. And they are the ones who spread God's light to the rest of the world during the tribulation period. It's an incredible passage. And I know that it's the Jewish people because look at verse 9. He contrasts them. In verse 9, he says, After this, after he saw the sealing of those on the earth, he looked, and this is in heaven, he says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne that's up in heaven and in front of the Lamb. And they're wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Okay? See, that's why I know that the ones on the earth that are sealed there are Jewish believers during the time. Because now, he says, I see a different group. Not 144,000. That's why I believe the 144,000 is literal. Because now he contrasts it with a group up in heaven that he can't even count. He says, it's so huge, I can't count. So obviously, it's in the hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people. And it says that these people up there are from every nation. Unlike that one group on the earth that was just from one nation, here's a group from every nation, a multitude you couldn't count. And what are they doing? First of all, they're dressed in white gowns or white robes. Remember in Revelation chapter 3, that describes those those of us who have been purified by Christ. You know, it's that, that picture of our holiness, our purity. But I'm going to get into that a little bit long, a little bit later. I want to get into who these people actually are, this multitude up there. I'll get into that in a bit. But first, I want you to notice what they're doing. What are they doing? They're waving palm branches. And they're shouting. They're, they're shouting songs of celebration, saying salvation. We're, we're saved. And he says salvation belongs to God and to, our, to the Lamb. These are people who trusted in the Lamb for salvation. Here they are. They're saved. They have trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Here they are, saved by God. Where does salvation come from? It comes from Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's why these people shout, Salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. Why? Because there's no other name by which you can be saved. And understand that while God has a special covenant relationship with the Jewish people, I'm not saying they can be saved outside of the blood of Jesus. 
They can be, but I will say this. In Romans 1, 16, what does it say? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Okay? So he explains that the the way a person gets saved is by the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. But he even explains, even in the death of Christ, man, that is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It's the rest of us. But even in his salvation through Jesus Christ, he was sent primarily for the Jewish people. I shouldn't say primarily, but first and foremost for the Jewish people. That they can be saved through their Messiah. And the rest of us, we get to join in that and be saved by their Messiah as well. But he's explained there's still that special covenant relationship with those Jewish people. Salvation belongs to the Lamb. And I know that is not a popular thing to say today. But you know what? Salvation belongs to Jesus Christ and that there is no, un, uh, no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. But you understand it's the truth. Um, and I know that's hard for you guys to stomach, for some of you to stomach. But uh, the truth is, is you know what? We are saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son dying a cross for us that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is where salvation comes from. And that's what these people are screaming. Pretty big contrast what these guys are screaming up in heaven. Salvation belongs to the Lamb, waving palm branches. Compare that to the people on the earth. What are they screaming? Hide us, rocks, from the wrath of God. You see the contrast in the book of Revelation? There's such a horror and a terror about the wrath of God, but there's such a beauty about his protection in there. That's what chapter 7 is all about. In verse 11, he, he describes that scene in heaven a little bit more. And as these people are waving their palm branches, verse 11, it says, The angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So you see the throne there, and everyone's waving their palm branches. And remember in chapter 5, it talks about 100 million angels that are surrounding this throne. And it says, now all of them just fall to their faces before the throne and say, amen. What are they amening about? That salvation belongs to God. He deserves everything. Everything is revolving around this one throne. And these people have their faces to the ground, which, let me say something about that for a second. Have you ever worshipped God with your face to the ground? Ever gotten on your knees, put your face to the ground, just feeling like, God, you're so far beyond me? You see it in the Bible a lot. I mean, you see it here, you know, where everyone just falls. These are heavenly beings that just fall to their faces. And whenever any human being comes in contact with God, you see them doing the same thing. They see God and they just fall on their face. The Apostle Paul doing that. You see John doing that. You, you see uh, uh, Ezekiel. You see Isaiah. You, you see all these people just fall to their face when they see God. I just got to say, there's something that's just awesome about actually physically doing that. I'm not saying there's anything magical or mystical in it. I'm just saying, gosh, the times in my life when I'll just get on my knees and just get down on my face and just sing to God or pray to Him, there's just something that feels right. 
because I know that's what people do in Scripture. And I know it's a little more popular to stand and raise your hands or whatever. I'm not saying that's wrong. I think there's a place for that. And, and I do that sometimes. I'm just saying that, you know what? Once in a while, try getting on your knees. Try getting on your face just before God. If you've never done that, do that tonight. Can you pray before you go to bed? Don't just lay in your bed or wherever. Get on your knees. Get on your face before God. Realize who you're talking to. Just say, God, you are awesome. You deserve all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. You're incredible. And I'm just this humble servant down here on the earth. Because I just see that as such a beautiful picture of worship. Well, let's go to verse 13. Because now we find out who are, who's this multitude up in heaven that's waving the palm branches in their white robes. Verse 13. One of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so, so, so John asked him, Who are all these people? Or, or actually, the elder asked John. You know, and John goes, I don't know. You, you know. You tell me. And the guy says, well, these are people who came out of the great tribulation. Okay, I believe, okay, first of all, we know that they're Christians. We know these are people who believe in Jesus Christ because it says that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They've got white robes, shows their righteousness that they got through what? Through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way your, your robes can be white. So you know that these are believers, but where they come from? It says they came out of the tribulation. Somehow these believers came to believe in Jesus during the tribulation, I believe. And now they're out of the tribulation. But how did they come out? Some say, well, maybe they just died during some of the wrath. Um, And that's a possibility. It's a very good possibility. Um, I believe um, that these are people who actually died for their faith during the tribulation. I believe these are are the martyrs. Remember during that time how... uh, uh, you know, you, you read about the Antichrist when he comes. You can't buy or sell. You can't buy food for your family or anything. You can't eat unless you have that mark of the beast on your forehead. I believe these are people who didn't take the mark and were eventually killed for their faith. And the reason why I say that is I go back to chapter 6. Remember chapter 6 when Jesus opened the fifth seal? And remember the fifth seal in chapter 6 talks about the martyrs in verse 10. And remember what the martyrs were crying out to God? Remember it showed that last week? You'll, you'll remember as I read it. In Revelation uh, chapter 6 verse 10, it says that uh, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, And they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Remember I talked about that? And how, you know, that that strange answer of God where he says, no, hold off. These people who've already been martyred for their faith, he says, hold off. Here, take this white robe. This is your reward. But there are more people on the earth who are still going to die for their faith. I believe that's who these people are people who have died for their faith while they're here on earth. And it's a great multitude. It's a ton of them that are wearing these white robes and they have died as martyrs for Jesus Christ. And um, some people say, well, if it's such a huge number, could that many people really be killed by the Antichrist during such a short period of time? Can that many Christians, let's say it's millions, 
Can millions of people really be killed in such a short period of time? And I say, well, look at the Holocaust. Um, and yet this is a Holocaust that is different from that because these people choose it. See, at that time, you could deny Jesus Christ and you'd be safe. You wouldn't be martyred for your faith. Just take the mark of the beast. You'll be fine with everyone else. These are people who said, I will die for Jesus Christ because I know what's on the other side. And here they've got the reward on the other side. Is that you? I mean, would you have that type of strength if you were in that situation to say, you know what? I know what's on the other side. I will not deny who Jesus Christ is. I know that salvation comes from the Lamb. Because that's what these people do and they get the reward from it. And why I also believe that these are, uh, these are martyrs is because the last few verses, which are so, so beautiful to me. I mean, I, I don't know how you can read this without just getting the chills about what God says about these people. Verse 15. Okay, because these people have been washed, made white in the blood of the land, verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that awesome? You see, that's why I believe these guys are the martyrs because here he says, you know what? They're never going to go hungry again because they're with God now. They're with their heavenly Father. And maybe they were one of those who didn't take the mark and they couldn't buy or sell. They couldn't buy food for their own families. Maybe they starved to death. And God says, you know what? These are my children now. And it says he put his tent over them. They're in his house. They're his property. He says, that means these are my children and they will never go hungry. These people who died for me, suffered for me, they will never thirst again. Because, man, the sun is not going to burn them. There's nothing that's going to harm them. He goes, in fact, I'll wipe, I will personally wipe every tear away from their eyes. Because these are my children. And I will protect them. I will care for them for all of eternity. That's an incredible, incredible picture that God gives to those who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. That's an incredible picture. Doesn't it just feel good to think, you know what, that's me. God promises there's going to come a day when I won't feel any suffering anymore. And I know that's important to some of you because some of you right now, yeah, maybe you're not dying physically for your faith, but some of you are struggling and you're working so hard to do the right thing before God. And sometimes that means suffering. Sometimes that means rejection. Sometimes it means a lesser income. Sometimes it, it, it just it means that the total pain that you go through in life just by resisting sin and its temptation and its suffering. And to know that God sees that and says, you know, one day it'll all pay off. One day I'm going to spread my tent over you and you're going to be there with me. Nothing's going to harm you. You won't feel this pain ever again. What an incredible, incredible feeling that God offers to those who are his children you feel that today? Do you know that you're one of those who's been washed by the blood of the Lamb? See, the beautiful thing about the book of Revelation is the picture of those who are saved. The horrifying thing about the book of Revelation is those who are going to be destroyed. 
And so the book of Revelation always carries this bittersweet attitude throughout the whole book where you can rejoice for a little bit, but then it sickens you at another part. You go, gosh, I sure wouldn't want to be under his wrath. You guys, today, I got I to gotta say this. Um, man, are you sure you're under the grace of God? Are you sure that you've been cleansed by God? He's going to look at you and say you're a child of God. See, who are these people that are protected by God? It says in verse 14, they are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have washed their robes by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, the blood that Jesus Christ poured out on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sins. And the Bible says, if you believe in that blood, then that blood is actually what cleanses you of everything you've ever done. And you are pure in God's eyes. God poured his wrath out on his son so that he wouldn't have to pour out his wrath on you. If you believe in it, and you've been washed by his blood. You see, it's like this. If if this represented me, this would be great. Totally pure. Totally pure. If I could come before God like this, totally pure. That would be awesome because God would look at me and say, Wow, he is holy. He is pure. Just as I am holy, he is one of my children. He's holy. Come on in. Well, that's great if I were holy. But the problem is, is this is sin. And the problem with me is this doesn't represent me. What represents me is, oh man, all the sin I have. The negative thoughts. The impure thoughts. The times I've hurt other people. Man, the times I've looked in the face of God and done the things that his word tells me not to do. And that sin stains me. Man, when I look at my life and I think of all the disgusting things I have done, this is me. And you guys, this represents all of us. We're not pure. No one is righteous before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned against God. And God hates sin. And so this is the way I would come before God is full of my stain, full of my sin. And he would look at that and say, that's an object of my wrath. I don't like sin. I hate sin. And I have to pour out my wrath upon sin. And that's what I would get if I came before God like this. Because this is me. Impure, full of sin. But the Bible says, the only thing that can wash away the stain of my sin would be the blood of Jesus Christ. This represented the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross. The Bible says, if I believe that he poured out his blood for me, that I can be purified. And as I accept that, when I accept that, I say, God, I believe your son died for me. And I want him in my life. And his blood comes into my life. The Bible says what, that, what happens then as his blood comes in is that it purifies me. It purifies me and it cleanses me. And God again looks at me and he says, he's pure. He's pure. Why? Because I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And now some people say, well, what if after I've been washed by God and I've been cleansed by him, I go back to my sin? You know, because even after I became a Christian, I still sin. And it's like, well, what happens when you sin again after God's come into you? The blood still washes it away. Even after you've sinned against God, even after you accepted him, once he's in you, the blood of Jesus Christ washes away your sin for good. My question to you today 
this represent you, the sin? Or is it this? Washed pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. Guys, I, I love the book of Revelation. But there's that side of it that just terrifies me. For those who have not accepted Jesus as their Lord. Guys, do you understand that salvation comes from no other name? There's no way you can wash away the guilt of your sin except by the blood of Jesus. It doesn't matter how many good works you do. Get that through your head. You cannot do enough good to purify yourself. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. And you guys, if you have never come before God and just told God, God, I believe in you. I believe your son died for me. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And I'm begging you. If you have never asked Jesus into your life, to ask him in now and feel the peace that we do and escape the wrath of God. In fact, if you really want to do that in your hearts, would you just close your eyes right now? You want to ask Jesus Christ into your life. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And uh, if you want to, then say this prayer to God. Echo it with me in your own mind, God. God, I know that I have offended you with my life. I have so much sin in my life. But I believe you love me so much that you had your own son pay for my sin on the cross. God, I want him to come into my life now and to make me the person that you want me to be. Please, God, come into me and purify me and change me. In Jesus' name. Guys, if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, the Bible says you're one of us who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You're protected by God now. And the Bible says if you did really believe in him, your life will show it. You'll see the change in your life. And uh, so if you really meant that prayer, what I'm going to ask you to do is, uh, you know, in, on your on your little cards, it just says, you know, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We just check that off. Just to acknowledge and to say, you know what, I did it. So that I could call you or one of the pastors can call you and just tell you, well, if you really meant that, then let's... Let's help you in your life. Let's, let's talk to you about baptism. Let's explain to you what it means to walk with God. But only check that box if you really meant it. And you say, you know what? I really want Jesus in my life. I really want him to be my Lord and Savior. And if so, man, then understand this is the greatest day of your life. This is the day when you passed from the wrath of God under his grace.